Hey, uh, you know, today is Easter Sunday, and one of my favorite quotes by a theologian named Jurgen Moltmann expresses the span from Good Friday to Easter with these words, God weeps with us at the cross so that we may someday laugh with him. It's a day of joy because we celebrate a risen Savior. And it's a great weekend to enjoy family and food. So raise your hand if after this you're going to go spend some time with family, you're going to enjoy a good meal. Just raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're able to do that. And so um, it's a good time to to be uh, excited and to laugh together. Uh, In just a moment, I'm going to have my wife come up and she's going to read out of the book of John our scripture for this morning. And the sermon is really going to have at its main idea this phrase, the way of peace is to follow the risen Christ. But with uh, every church, there's traditions, and one of our traditions, whether or not people try to talk me out of it, is for me to tell dumb Easter jokes. And so I'm going to tell you a few dumb Easter jokes, because we're talking about celebrating, we're talking about laughing. So here we go, and I do accept charity laughs. Okay, here we go. So why are people always tired in April? Because they just got done with a march. All right, all right. Why was... (laughs) Why was the Easter bunny arrested? Thank you. He was charged with harassment. All right, all right. Come on, made me feel better about myself. A little more laughter helps. What does the Easter bunny get from making a basket? Two points, just like anybody else. Basketball season joke. And one last one. Oh, man, what do you call a mischievous egg? A practical yoker. <laughs> it is so good to laugh. You know, um, and laughter is so good, isn't it? Because chaos is all around us. And Jeannie's going to come up here now, and she's going to read out of John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, open it up. John chapter 20, she's going to read 18 verses, and it's the story of from John's viewpoint of whenever it was found that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And I want you to notice something. At the greatest event in human history, there is a lot of chaos. There's a lot of chaos. So, Jeannie. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand that's the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she sto- stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let's pray together. God, your word has been read. And now, God, we want to hear what you have to say. God, so I pray that in these next few moments as I explain this passage, parts of this passage, God, that your Holy Spirit would work in each of us, God. And there are some here that do not yet believe. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to the truth of Jesus as Lord. God, there are some here who are struggling. I pray, God, you would encourage their hearts. Some here that have drifted, I pray that you would bring them back to the way of Christ. And God, there are some here that you want to set a vision in their hearts for what the next step for their lives is. I pray, God, that you make that abundantly clear. So God, now as I explain this passage, God, I pray that you would go forward, God, and I rest not in the power of the preacher. I rest today knowing that there's power in the person of Christ. I rest not in my abilities as a man. I rest in the message of the gospel. That's what I trust. We love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's so interesting to read the story surrounding the resurrection because in each of the Gospels, at the greatest event in human history, we see chaos. Did you pick up on a few instances where we saw chaos? One of them is in John chapter 20, verse 11. If you have your Bible, look at it. John chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. This is Mary Magdalene. And as she wept, she stopped, or she stooped to look into the tomb. So Mary already grieving because of his death, now weeps because Jesus' body is missing. So she goes there to the grave. The grave uh, rock is turned away. She looks in there, and the scripture says that as she looks in there, there's an angel, there's two angels, but Jesus is not there. And so she's weeping, and then she's really disturbed. Chapter 20, verse 13. They, being the angels, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Men, don't ever ask a woman that in that way. A woman, why are you weeping? I will smack you down. Um, But they're angels, so that's cool. Uh, She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. So that kind of loss would be a concern to anyone at any time. But among the Jews at that time, abuse or neglect of the dead was a shocking thing. I imagine that not only was the situation chaotic, but Mary felt the stress where? In her heart, right? And at that moment, in her heart, there was no peace. It was like some of our hearts, even this morning. No peace. Anxious. You know, we can get dressed up. We can come into this room. We can do the attend the church thing. But for some of us, what we need to be really honest about this morning is that as you sit here and as I stand here, what's really going on in our inner person is a lot of chaos, anxiety, stress. I wonder if that's true for you. If it's true for you, then you're like one-third of all adults and adolescents who were surveyed by the National Institute of Mental Health recently, saying that 
anxiety as a disorder is the most common mental health condition in our country. And the National Survey of Children's Health says that stress and depression among adolescents ages 6 to 17 has gone up 20% over the last few years. This is the human condition. Things happen at work, things happen at home, things happen in our school. They create chaos around us, resulting in chaos inside of us. I'm going to stay here for a moment. Because this isn't the only time in history, Mary Magdalene at the tomb, where there's chaos in somebody's heart. In fact, if you look all the way back to the beginning of uh, creation, when Adam and Eve were created, there was chaos. So if you look in your Bible, go ahead and if you have it, turn it back, or if you're on your um, iPhone or Android or whatever, turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 has given a description of God breathing into existence all that exists. Genesis chapter 3 is the story of how sin entered and chaos entered. Disrupting relationship between people, between people and God, and between the earth and people. And so there's chaos in Adam and Eve's heart at the point we pick up in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And here's what it says. And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, keep in mind here that God has created man and woman and he's given them authority over all other created things. And he's put them in this place called the Garden of Eden. And what they're supposed to do there is work. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And they're supposed to enjoy unhindered relationship with God. The only thing they cannot do is eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we see in chapter 3, verse 8, that the presence of the Lord comes among the, the area, it comes into the area where Adam and Eve are. But Adam and Eve are hiding The Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Adam and Eve had chaotic hearts that kept them from enjoying the presence of God. Now, how did their hearts get that way? It was the sin that entered, the chaos that entered because of their choice to disobey God or to choose some other way than what God had set out. And they had everything that they needed right there to enjoy the unhindered presence of God. God had created all these things and he said that it was good six times already but they chose to disobey God. And what we see in this story and what we've seen throughout thousands of years of human history and what we see even in the lives of one another is that when a person has a chaotic heart, they usually hide from God. But inside every person, there is this longing for that chaotic heart to be replaced by a heart of peace and order. It's called shalom. It's in all of us. We desire that. We want for things in our inner person, things in our immediate world and extended world to be peaceful and orderly in the way it was meant to be. We long for things to return to the way they were meant to be or designed by God in the garden. Peaceful, orderly, good. But it's been disrupted. There's chaos, right? Now, I just want to just bring to your mind the truth that all of us are finding ways to return to the garden, if I could say it like that. Every person here, and you don't, this isn't just for Christians, every person here is trying to find a way to return to the garden, the way it was meant to be, the garden where there was peace, unhindered relationship with God. The four major kind of ways that people are trying to return to the garden are this. They follow the way of power. Follow the way of power. 
The way of power is when a person says, if I can overpower others around me, that will then establish peace in my heart. If I can gain a higher position, even if it costs others a lot, I will establish peace in my heart. You follow the way of power, that's one way. It's one thing that you can worship. One path that you can choose. Or maybe you follow the way of approval. The way of approval to get peace in your heart is, goes something like this. If I have a relationship with the right person, then I'll have peace in my heart. Some of you got married thinking that you found the person that that relationship would establish peace in your heart. And it took about 4.3 days for you to realize that that wasn't going to happen. The way of approval says, if I have reached this certain milestone, this certain accolade, if I can reach this, this award at work or among my friends, then that will establish peace in my heart. The way of approval also says, if I look a certain way, if this body part is this big or in this place or this small or in this place, whatever it may be, then if I could just achieve this, this aesthetic, then that will make me feel peace in my heart. Or or another way that people follow is following the way of comfort. The way of comfort says something like this. I can find ultimate pleasure in some activity. The most popular one today or the one that's the most um, accessed or relied on is some sort of sexual behavior. That's right. There, There are no rules. If I can just experience sex in a certain way, then that will help me establish peace in my heart. I'll feel that everything is right in this world. This way is a way of indulgence. It's a way of saying, if I entertain myself in just the right ways, if I just take more trips, if I go to more events, if I just experience more exciting moments, then that will establish peace in my heart. Or a fourth way is the way of security. If my finances are secure, some of you are there. You're at the beginning of your career, or maybe you're a little later in your career, and you got a little money. You're at the beginning of your career, and you're going to have money, whatever it may be. And you may think to yourself, if my finances are secure, then that will establish peace in my heart. Or if I'm in a position where nobody can harm me, or if my family is established and normal, then that will help me feel peace in my heart. Now, if you're unsure which of those four, approval, comfort, security, and the other one, I can't remember. Power. If one of those four, if you're not sure which one of those four you're tempted to follow, and all of us, even those of us that are followers of Christ, are tempted at times to follow one of those, if you're unsure, here's what you need to ask yourself. When I am anxious or stressed, what do I run to? If the first thing you do when you're anxious or stressed is think, I need to go get a drink of alcohol then that is your way, the way of comfort. That's your God. That's your path you're choosing. And, and or, or there's all kinds of other ones. If the first thing I, that you think of when you're anxious, you're stressed, is that, man, I just got to get out of here. I got to take another trip. Or I, I, I need to just uh, improve my relationship with my spouse. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I, I, I need to go to that person. They need to give me what I need so that there can be peace established in my heart. Then those are the ways that you choose. But what I'm saying to you is over time, you will be shocked by the reality that those ways will leave you feeling empty if you rely on them for ultimate peace. They will. 
And some of you are still young enough that you think that if you can just establish security financially for your life, then you will establish peace in your heart. And you're not quite there yet, but you will be. You'll realize that you can have all the money in the world and be the most miserable person in the world. Any rich people got an amen for me? Um, and, and those things in and of themselves are not bad, right? It's not bad to get an accolade. It's not bad to make money. I mean, nobody's mad at you about that. Nobody, you know, it, it's not bad to want a healthy, strong relationship with your spouse. It, there's nothing wrong with those things and wanting those things and getting, taking something from those things and feeling good about those things. But if those things are your ultimate peace, you're in trouble because they're only temporary. So this week, uh, I had the opportunity to get away for a few days um, and it was kind of an interesting thing. Apparently, I'm being such an awesome husband. My wife found somewhere to me to go away for three days. And um, she's like, I think you need a few days away. I was like, okay, I think I'll take a few days away. And so I went to um, Pedernales Falls. Anybody ever been there? It's just west of Austin, Pedernales Falls, okay? You ought to go. It's a beautiful place. I was surprised it's in Texas, to be, to be completely honest. I mean, it's not the Smoky Mountains or the Rocky Mountains, but it's a really nice place. And we found a little tiny home. I stayed there. And I was feeling kind of bad, actually, about going out of town the week before Easter weekend because it's a really busy time and like pastor world. And Ryan and I text message, and he said, hey, Jesus did it. He went away to pray just before he was crucified and raised from the dead. And I was like, well, let's stick with the raised from the dead part. It's more hopeful. And so I said, okay, cool. I'm like Jesus. So I went for a few days, and I just was alone, and I prayed, and I found a lonely place. I hiked by myself for hours, and it was amazing. And... I found a lonely place and it felt good. It felt peaceful, right? I wish that the screen was working because I'd show you some pictures. Um, it was an amazing place and there was a moment where I hadn't seen anybody for two hours and I was like standing at the river's edge and the landscape was just amazing. I even took my shirt off. That's how wild I was feeling. I was feeling wild, not to embarrass my children who are here, but I did. I took my shirt off in public and, um, and I'm standing there like, yes, this is so awesome. I'm feeling like there's peace being established in my heart. I'm praying to God. I'm singing songs to God. And then you know what happened? I had to leave and I came home and I came back to reality. Now, if I were trying to find my ultimate hope in peace in those little temporary trips to another city where I'm all alone and have no responsibility, it would be a crushing reality because I have to come home and take on the responsibility that God's given me, first of all, to be a husband, then to be a dad to four amazing kids, and then to pastor this church and to be a Christian in this city. You see, I and you, we cannot try to put our ultimate hope or find ultimate peace in any other thing than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection of Jesus says that you can put your hope in Jesus. He is not dead. He is alive. And you can have a living, real, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And you'll say, I don't need Jesus. What I would say is, how are those other ways treating you? How is the way of security and comfort and approval and power treating you? Are they making you a more helpful, hopeful kind of person? Are they answering the questions that you have about what will happen whenever you die and you stand before God and you give an account for your life? You see, the way of Christ the way that Jesus establishes through his death and resurrection, it not only provides for us a sense of peace and order in this life, 
it gives us the hope of the next life where we get to stand before Jesus and Jesus doesn't look at us and see the sin and see all the times that we follow these other ways. Instead, he gets to look at us and say, your sin has been paid for by me on the cross. And you get the hope of that in the new life. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's one reason that we as a church talk about our mission is we're inviting busy people, not just busy like in your schedule, but people who have busy hearts. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. So Mary Magdalene, her heart, is busy, there's chaos. She's standing at the tomb, she's weeping. But you know what happened? Jesus met her there. I love this part of the story. Here she is, she's broken, she's unsure. She's feeling anxious. And Jesus meets her there. Verse 14 said, Having said this, the thing that she said to the angels, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? It's like, let up already, you know? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus meets us in the chaos with the hope of a new life. His resurrection makes peace possible. His resurrection makes it possible for us to be freed from the exhausting pursuit of peace through some other way than placing our faith in him as the way to peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The way to peace with God is life with the risen Christ. So let me ask you, how will you respond Maybe you'll be like Adam and Eve and you'll hide from God. I want you to know that if you're hiding, God will meet you there. God is looking for you. He wants to invite you into his presence. And you say, well, I'm too bad. Too bad of a person. Russell, you don't know what I'm really like. I want to tell you that in this room and as a part of this church, in the history of this church, there have been people who've cheated on their spouse and nearly lost a marriage. There have been people here who have lied to build multi-million dollar businesses. There have been people who were gangbangers and drug dealers until they ended up in prison and got out. We've had people in our church that were involved in the adult film industry. We've had people in our church that are former heroin addicts. Uh, We have former gluttons. We have people that still struggle with all those things. I promise you, you're not the chief of sinners. If you're hiding because you think you're worse than anybody else, that person is already here. Jesus was raised from the dead to give life to people like you and me. People who feel too bad for God's love and run away from God rather than coming and laying, bowing in the presence of Almighty God, knowing that Jesus made a way for you to be reconciled to God. The way to peace and life with God is through following a risen Christ. So some of you are going to hide from God. Please don't. Some of you may not quite recognize Jesus as God yet. Maybe you would say, well, Jesus was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He had some good, strong, moral things to say. We would all agree with that. I mean, you're right. He said things like, don't murder. (laughs) 
Like, yeah, I'm down for that one. You know, but you might not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Mary did not at first recognize that. And so whenever Jesus said, who are you? Why are you, we- who, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? He's, she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. She's unsure. But Jesus speaks her name. Mary. I love that. All of us need a moment in our life where we can hear the Lord Jesus speaking our name. Like he knows you. He knows where you're hiding. He knows what's really going on with you. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Roboni, which means teacher. So in the midst of the chaos and even when you're slow to recognize that he has risen from the dead, Jesus is calling your name. Still others of you will respond by recognizing Jesus as Lord. Mary Magdalene sees that Jesus is who he says he is and she's so moved by it and recognizes the beauty and the power and the meaning of this moment. This teacher who was crucified, laid in a grave, is now alive. So verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. At least 11 times, Jesus appeared to different people after his resurrection, before his ascension. And I wonder if he has appeared to you. How will you respond? Will you choose the way of following the risen Christ? Or will you choose some other way? I'm telling you, whether or not you want to believe it in this moment, any other way than following the way of the risen Christ to find peace in this life and in the next, it'll just crush you when you realize there is no other way. Has Jesus appeared to you? If so, follow him. Oh, each Easter I have a favorite illustration I like to end on. Some years ago when our church started, we knew from the beginning that we wanted to establish a ministry partnership in a place where there were not many Christians. And so through a series of events, we began a partnership with some, uh, a family that was in the eastern part of Africa, in Ethiopia. And so as a part of those first few years of our church, we would take teams and I went on one trip and I'll never forget it because it was me and three other people and it was, we knew from the beginning it was going to be a hard trip. Any trip to Africa is hard, but this one was going to be really, really hard. And so we get over there after a long uh, couple of days of traveling and we get into Addis Ababa in, in Ethiopia and then we have to take a van ride. And so we are going to take this van ride for several hours kind of eat to the eastern part of Ethiopia and so we're, we're close to Somalia. And I'll never forget... Uh, as we're traveling with the guy who's going to be an interpreter for us, he begins telling us a story about the birth of Christianity in these villages in the eastern part of Ethiopia, which was not too long before we, then we got there, right? The ministry was growing, the Christian message, the story of a risen Christ was spreading through the eastern part of Ethiopia, and we were going to get to meet one of the guys who was a leader in the movement. And the thing that was so crazy to me about this guy, especially coming from my context in the Western world, where the thing that we <laughs> think is real struggle is getting to church on time, you know, uh, in that part of the world, where people who choose to follow Christ 
also choose potentially to lose their family, to lose their homeland, to lose their ethnic identity in their minds. And so we heard about this guy who uh, was a Muslim and he converted to Christianity and, and he was one of the ones that was going out into these villages and just telling people about a risen Christ. And people were believing and they were being saved and they were being baptized and it was spreading not just to the hundreds, but thousands and tens of thousands of people. And I will never forget my anticipation of meeting this man who I felt like was a modern day Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talked about in the New Testament, the missionary. And uh, sure enough, so we get there after quite a bit of traveling and as a part of our conversations as a group, we get to hear a bit about this man's story. And then at one moment, I get a side opportunity to talk to him through the translator. And I say to him, sir, how is it that you would be so compelled by your belief in Christ to convert to Christianity from Islam, knowing that you're going to have to give up potentially your family, and he was, he was kind of cast out of his home. He was cast off of the family property. I I said to him, I said, "What, what is going through your mind? How is that? Like, why can that be for you the reality? I mean, how do you do that? And I'll never forget, for as long as I live, I can close my eyes and see it in my mind just like it was yesterday. He looked at me and he said, Pastor Russell, through the translator, Pastor Russell, he said, imagine that you're going on a long journey. And on this long journey, you get to a fork in the road. And down one part of the road, the leader is dead. And down the other part of the road, there's Jesus who's alive. I just chose to follow the risen Lord. My life has changed forever. As I've thought about the sincerity of his commitment to Christ. Not just because the ideas of Christianity were a little more compelling than the ideas of any other way. But it's because for him, there's a deep-rooted conviction that he was willing to give his life to that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, it changes everything. So I'll follow that way. How about you? What will you do as you consider the truth Christianity that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Will you follow the way of Christ? If you will, you will experience peace in this life and more importantly, ultimate peace in the holy, awesome presence of God in the next. What will you choose? Would you bow your head and let's think on and pray about these things? If you're here and you have never chosen that way, that path to Christ, I would say to you, repent of your sin. In other words, acknowledge to God that you have sin and you're separated from him. You've not been perfect. None of us have. Acknowledge that before God and just know that God has demonstrated his love for you that while you're spiritually dead, Christ died for you. 
You might say something to God like this, God, I realize that my sin separates me from you. Would you please forgive me of my sin and give me the hope of new life? That's what you call becoming a Christian or being saved or being born again. There's different ways of talking about it. There are others of you, those of you that have already chosen the way of Christ and you're not experiencing peace and you know that and maybe it's because although you are a follower of Christ, you have been trying to follow some other way, maybe power or security or approval or comfort. And as I said those things, it was raised to your mind of like, oh wow, I'm trying to find peace in those things and you just want to bring that before the Lord. That's called confessing sin. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So today, just bring that to God. Be forgiven. Move on. Let's, let's grow together in this. Or maybe you have something else on your mind and a heart and you want to respond on this Easter Sunday. God Almighty, we love you. God, I confess to you that there are days not too far back that it's like I... I, I forget that the way to peace is in a relationship with Christ and following the way of Christ and so I, I start trying to find peace in these other things ultimate peace in these other things and, and God I, I feel certain that there are some others that are here in the same way God so we together want to say to you help us to believe help us to see Jesus for who he is just like Mary who was uh, kind of unsure as to who Jesus was God speak our name remind us that you know us that you want to call us and that the way to real peace in this life with you is with you and the way to ultimate peace in the next life is in Christ God so I'm not sure what Lord you want to do with all that but I just want to say uh, God have your way which I know you will we love you. Now, God, we want to respond. We are going to respond, God, on this Resurrection Sunday. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.